Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our series, Revelation, the end of the beginning. The book of Revelation can be an incredibly confusing and even frightening read, but it wasn't meant to be either. In fact, behind the violent and alarming imagery of Revelation lies a world of beauty as we see the self-sacrificial love of Christ forever triumph over the darkness we encounter all too often in our world. In this series, we take a deeper look at what the disciple John wrote and why, dispel common misconceptions of what it all means, and celebrate our glorious future it promises. We are finishing Revelation today. Can you believe it? Can you believe it? Um, And so I'm going to recap real quick, and then we're going to finish Revelation, and I really want to focus on, at the end, um, the why. Okay, the why is so important. The why is so important. So turn in your Bibles to Revelation, and we're going to start kind of at 17. But just to recap where we've been. We've seen John. He's in prison. This is where all these visions, all these prophecies are coming to him from. Uh, Not like the cushy jail that you're used to seeing, but a rock. He's in a cave barely clothed, underfed, 90 years old, 90 years old. Do we have any 90-year-olds in the room? No, no, I don't think we do, no. Can you imagine? You're not even there yet. Can you imagine being thrown in chains and uh, condemned to hard labor for the rest of your life for one reason only, proclaiming the name of Jesus? That's why he was there. So, we find John, he has all these visions, we see God working in his church, we see the seven churches that he's writing this to, we, um, the church at Laodicea and, and Sardis and all those different churches, and then we go to the throne room of God, where John sees the throne and the people of God around it, and this seal that the Lamb, who is Jesus, was Worthy to open. And so then we started three weeks ago talking about judgment. We talked about judgment for three weeks. That's a tough three weeks. It's tough for your pastor. It's tough for you. And in the grand scheme of it, we saw seven seal judgments. We saw seven trumpet judgments and several different interludes in between like the 144,000 and these others. And then last week we talked about the bowl judgments, which we found was the last of God's wrath to be poured out on the earth. After the bowl judgments, there are we find ourselves in 17. Now, I'm not going to get too in-depth. There's like this little break here in 17 where John describes the great prostitute which in that time would have been the Roman government, or alluding to the ruling power at that time. Now listen, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. I want you to open it up, because the scripture's not going to be on the screen. No, we're not doing it. I want you to flip through the pages. I want you to feel them, and, and read along with us. So we find ourselves in 17. couple things I want to point out in 17. We meet the harlot, or the prostitute, We meet a beast with seven heads and ten horns, but there's a couple pieces I think we can't miss in 17. 
And one of those is in 17 and verse 8 at the very bottom. I'll read the whole verse. The beast you saw once was once alive, but isn't now. And yet he will continue. He will soon come out of the bottomless pit and go to eternal destruction. Now, this is what I want you to pay attention to. And the people who belong to this world, and if you underline in your Bible, I want you to underline this, whose names were not written in the book of life, double underline this, before the world was made. Did you, I, you may not know this, but did you know the Lord knew you before you were you? Did you know that? Before he ever, from his mouth, spoke the world into existence, he knew you. And that's what this tells us. In fact, it tells us before the world was ever created, he chose you. Think about that. Think about yourself. And know that the Lord was thinking of you before the world was ever made. And then the other part was down here in 14. Um, together they will, they being uh, the harlot, which is Rome, and uh, the beast will go to war against the lamb. Everybody say the lamb. But the lamb will defeat them. Somebody say amen. Thank you. Because he is the Lord of all lords and king of all kings, and his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. Now, the, the very first thing we see here in chapter 17 um, is that one, God knew you, and that uh, for those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life, do you know what that is? That's where everyone God has chosen is in, the, this book. Those who, are, who have accepted him as Savior, um, a lot of people wonder when this war happens, this war that's being talked about in 14, somebody say Armageddon. Yeah, yeah, it's not like the movie, okay? It's not going to be like the movie. What it's going to look like is all these wicked, evil nations that despite all this judgment, they're shaking their fist at God and they're saying, you know what? I don't care. I'm still going to curse you. Well, this war that happens, uh, we found in that six, the bowl last week that the Euphrates River dried up and allowed access. And Armageddon, from everything we can tell from Scripture, is one, it's going to be an actual battle. A physical one, not just a spiritual one where all those who have warred against God will come to Jerusalem and then from the clouds Jesus will descend with who? His people. And his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. In 18, we see the fall of Rome. And I'm going to kind of pass over that because basically... Uh, all of this has come now under Satan, and Satan is getting ready for Armageddon. But what I want to take us to very quickly is the second coming of Christ. So the second coming of Christ and Armageddon basically are happening at the same time here because uh, everyone's gathering at Jerusalem 
They're going to take over Jerusalem. Uh, We find that in Zechariah where they're going to take over the city, pillage, and they'll be pillaging there. And then in 19, we see the second coming of Christ. And we're going to answer a couple questions here. But look at 19, verse 1. After this, this is John, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, Praise the Lord, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. His judgments are true and just. He has punished the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the murder of his servants. And again, the voices rang out, praise the Lord. The smoke from that city ascends forever and ever. And so we see these multiple praise breaks happening here. And then uh, in verse 11, which is where I want us to go to, um, we see the second coming of Christ. Now, before we look at the second coming of Christ, where he's going to come put down all the enemies of God. Okay, that's where we're at in history. So the church has been raptured. Seven years of tribulation are coming to an end. And then Jesus comes back. Now, just a couple things I need you to understand about the second coming of Christ that's different. Okay, what's different the second time around from the first time around? One, uh, the first time when Jesus came as a baby, he came to serve. He came to serve, be rebuked, to be rejected, and to ultimately pay the price for you. That's why he came the first time, was to serve. The second time he comes here in 19, at the end of the tribulation, he's coming to rule. He's coming in power. And justly so, as we just found out at the beginning of 19. We found that God is just and right for what he has done. Now, um, the first time Jesus came, he was rejected by his own people. Now, you know why? One, to fulfill prophecy. But then the other reason why is because um, we we can have comfort and knowing that we have a compassionate high priest. You know what that means? He knows what you feel. Have you ever been rejected by the very people you thought were your own? Some people have had that experience in church. You know that? You know people have come to church and been rejected by what they assumed were their own people. Jesus knows that feeling. Jesus knows it all too well. He was rejected by his own people. The second time he comes, this is beautiful, he is received by the entire Jewish nation. All of Israel, all of of God's chosen people, will recognize him as the Messiah in his second coming. The first time he came as a lamb to be slain. The second time he comes as a lion, confident and true. Now, the second coming of Christ is also different than the rapture. Okay, they're separate events. Some people think there's no rapture. 
okay? Other people believe different things about when the rapture will happen, but the differences are, are pretty distinct. One, in the rapture, he's coming for, everybody say for, he's coming for his people. The second time, he's coming with, everybody say with. Okay, so, so this is one of the reasons that we are pre-tribulation rapture folks here is because we see a distinct difference where the rapture comes, we're caught up in the air, and then in the second coming, we are with him. What did we just read in 17? We read that, but the lamb will defeat them because he is the Lord of lords and king of kings, and his called and chosen and faithful ones will be with him. So the first time he comes for, the second time he comes with his people. The first time when he comes, we're going to be caught up in the air. He's going to meet us in the clouds. I want to be there. I want to see that. The second time he comes to earth. And lastly, the difference between the rapture and the second coming would be that there's no warning for the rapture. There are a list of events, and we've talked about them for the last several weeks, that have to happen before the second coming. But the Bible tells us in regards to the rapture that he comes like a thief in the night. No man knows the day nor the hour. And so let's talk about weddings and wars, okay? Look at chapter 19, verse 11. We're going to read together. Chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened, and a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, signifying victory. And his title was the Word of God. The armies and his title was the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule with them. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe and his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Then... I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures, flying high in the sky, Come, gather together uh, for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all humanity, both free and slaves, small and great. Verse 19, Then I saw the beast and the king Kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight. So, pause. John sees Christ on a white horse 
faithful and true. Accompanied by, now picture this, Jesus on a horse with a sword coming out of his mouth. Wild looking, isn't it? You picturing it? You working with me? And behind him are all the believers, the people of God behind him in army formation. And then, so he sees that, and then he looks down, and he sees the beast, Satan. He sees the kings of this world, people in Jerusalem, they've been pillaging, they've been burning the city down. The Bible even goes into great detail, talking about how women were taken advantage of, and it was being turned to rubble. He sees all their armies gathered to fight. This is the Armageddon we were talking about at this place called Armageddon. Verse 20, and the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast who worshiped his statue. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. Their entire, everybody say entire, army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And this is so vivid. And the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. What a scene. What a scene. Ultimate victory for Christ. And all those who had rejected him. Look, don't don't make this a picture of people who didn't know. Or make this a picture of people who didn't deserve what just happened. This is a picture of... And we talked about this last week, I believe, that if we are going to accept the love of Christ, we also have to accept the justice of Christ. And so all at the same time, he descends from heaven. He conquers and throws um, two of the characters. We talked about the unholy trinity last week. Um, being Satan, uh, being um, the beast, and then the false prophet. Uh, well, the beast and the false prophet are now in the fiery lake. And then in verse 20, verse 1, look at this. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, the old serpent. You, you remember from Genesis, Adam and Eve, serpent, Right? Y'all remember this story where where he deceived Eve? Okay, this is this reference. The old certain who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and locked so that Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. And then this really weird phrase right here. You ready? Afterward, he must be released for a little while. So this second coming of Christ, Armageddon, has happened, and then this transitions us into what Christians know as the millennial reign of Christ. 
A thousand years, a thousand years um, of Christ ruling with us. Poke yourself in the chest. Yeah. If you're a believer, yeah. And we see that right here. Then I saw thrones and people sitting on them um, had been given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their testimony about Jesus for proclaiming the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or his statue nor accepted his mark on their foreheads or their hands. They all came to life again and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. Now next week we're going to have a Q&A. A question and answer service where we're going to worship together and then you're going to get to live ask questions about Revelation. Because we haven't been able to deep dive into this, but I wanted you to uh, be able to ask some questions. What we see here, a lot of people have asked, what's the millennium reign going to be like? What's it going to look like? Will there be evil? Will there be, who, who will be there? Well, here's one thing we know. Christ will be there. Christ will be there. Reigning with believers, with you and I. Reigning, ruling. Well, what are we going to do? What are we ruling over? Some of y'all have already, y'all are like, I wonder if I'm going to get like a little slice. Yeah, and I'll have my throne. What am I going to be, what am I going to be commanding over? Some of y'all type A's. You know who I'm talking about. Yeah. That's okay. It's a, it's safe pay. This is a safe place here. What are we ruling over? Well, I don't know. It doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us what we're ruling over. But it does make me think of something. Back when Jesus was doing his first 30 years here on earth before the cross, we heard this story and this phrase. If you're faithful in a few things, I'll make you ruler over many things, of much. If you're faithful in a few, I'll make you ruler over many. So I'm not sure. It doesn't tell us exactly what we'll be ruling over, whether it's certain territories or lands or, or what the deal's going to be. But one thing I know for sure is that those who have been faithful during this time, it will affect that time. It will affect that time. So what's the point, Carl? What's the point of the millennium reign? Well, it declares Christ is victor. The one thing I always thought was confusing here before we get into the new heaven and new earth, listen. It seemed to me, so we saw where... Um, the beast and the false prophet were already thrown into the fiery lake of sulfur, as the, the Bible would describe it. But Satan is thrown into the bottomless pit. Two different areas. He's bound and the pit is closed. And then we saw this weird phrase in, chap in verse 3 of chapter 20. Afterward, he must be released a little while. After the thousand years, we see this right here. In, in verse 7 of chapter 20, when the thousand years come to an end, 
Satan will be let out of his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations called Gog and Magog. In every corner of the earth, he will gather them together for a battle, a mighty army, as numberless as sand along the seashore. And I saw them as they went up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded God's people and the beloved city. Watch this. Verse 9. But fire from heaven came down on the attacking armies and consumed them. Then the devil, who had been deceived, who had deceived them, was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet. There they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I don't know why. A lot of people have to have a why. And sometimes in Scripture, you have to be comfortable not knowing. Okay? You, we, there's... Some things that are just not written here. Now, we believe the Scripture is authoritative, okay? That this is what we live by. But there are some things that we just don't know. And one of those things I want to ask after all this is over, why does he have to come back out? I never understood it. And I don't think, I don't think on this side of glory we're going to. But for some reason, Satan is let back out after this thousand years. And he goes around and builds up another army. So this also tells us something about the millennium. Thousand years, we're all living here on the earth, ruling and reigning with Christ. People are going to get married. There are going to be kids had. There's, There's going to be a life that is built here. During those thousand years, and evidently enough to where the devil can go out and build a whole nother army. Sin has not been put to death finally yet. Until this point here. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That culminates the end of sin forever and ever. Because one thing we know about heaven is what? There's no more pain. There's no more sorrow. There is no more sin, right? Okay. I'm just reading this, just reading the book. So um, after uh, this final defeat of the devil and his armies, and he is forever, eternally damned to hell, the lake of fire, We see the great white throne judgment in 11. This, it says here in 14, that then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. So, millennium, Satan kind of has this build up again and final destruction. And then I think it's very important to look at this. Let's just read together in verse 11. Of 20. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne, and the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. 
Did you know this? This is true for believers and non-believers. This is true of everyone. Everything you do is being recorded. Let me tell you a story. Uh, I used to work for a commercial landscaper up in Glen Allen. Um, and so I oversaw 55 employees. Uh, I had $3 million worth of property that I took care of their landscapes. Well, one of those um, was actually right back here at Belmont and Cogville, Five Lakes. Anybody live in Five Lakes? No, don't raise your hand. I don't want to find you. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I'm not telling you where I live. Okay. Um, well, I'm sitting in my office, and I get an email with a video attached. And one of my crew leaders that led a crew of four guys that mowed the grass. It was on a Friday afternoon, looking forward to the weekend. I'm ready to go home. I get this video, pull up the video. At one of the units, they had a security camera. The homeowner had put in a security camera up on the side of their house. And on this camera, they videotaped my crew leader walking around the side of the house. You see him just, and he, he came up to some trash cans and began to take a leak on the trash cans. This lady's trash cans sitting over here on the side of the house. And so I had to call my boy, and I said, hey. If you got to go to the bathroom, go find a tree, not a trash can. Because now they're all upset. You know what I had to do? I had to go clean the trash cans. Yeah, you know that. I don't, you can't say that in church, never mind. You know, crap floats up, okay? So, um, so it came all the way to me. I had to clean the trash cans. I tell you that story. One, be careful where you go to the bathroom, okay? I know... Sometimes you got to go, and potty humor maybe isn't for the pulpit, but I can't, I can't fix who I am. And um, <laughs> Don't tell that one again. That's fine. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to point out was that everything's recorded. Everything's recorded. And not just in a superficial, I urinate on trash can sense. But in a, when you're alone and no one else is around, the very thoughts you think are recorded. And based on those things, you are either going to be rewarded or punished. And this is what this great white throne judgment is. And the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and the death and grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. Now, during the tribulation, believers, we're in heaven. Well, we're with God in his presence. And we get to experience what, what is called the Bema seat, which is the reward center of heaven. It's, this Bema seat term it comes from 
uh, when they used to have the Olympics, back when they started, uh, the judge would sit up on the seat and based the victors were allowed to come around the, that, that seat and they were rewarded and given their, um, based on how they had performed. And so, uh, saints, listen to me. When the Bible says, store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't corrupt, that's what it's talking about. You should be doing things that don't just affect this life, but affect the life to come. We said last week, we should be kingdom-minded, eternally-minded people. Amen. Well, I've been talking too long. Listen, I'm close here in a second. So we see the white throne judgment. Death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. So at this white throne judgment, after the thousand years, there's no more death. So you can almost see that during the millennium, there's, while we are reigning with Christ, the earth is still not perfect. The earth is still not healed and whole, no, because death is still around. Now, we, we, I think death is gonna look different based on scripture. I think the grave is gonna look different, but I think it's still there. Because here we see at the great white throne judgment in verse 14, death is no longer a thing. Think about that. Death is no longer a thing. For those who are facing death and the the temporalness of this life this morning, listen to me. There is a day coming where we will no longer face death. Or the grave. In chapter 21, we see uh, the new earth, the new Jerusalem. I just want to point out a couple passages here, and then I'm going to close. Verse 3 says, I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. Listen to this depictor of what the new heaven and new earth will look like. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. They're all gone. In verse 10, John says he's taken in the spirit and he's shown, look, listen at some of how this new heaven, this new Jerusalem, this new city, this new earth is depicted. The city walls are broad and high. Twelve gates guarded them. On down in 15, it says, The angel who talked to me held in his hand a gold measuring stick to measure the city gates and its walls. When he measured it, it's 1,400 miles square. Big place. The walls were 216 feet thick. They were made of jasper, pure gold, as clear as glass. The wall of the city was built on a foundation of stones inlaid with 12 precious stones, jasper, sapphire, a gate, emerald, onyx, Carnelian, chrysolite, 
barrel. I don't even know what some of these are. Topaz, Chrysippus, Jacinth, and Amethyst. They had, we hear the term gates of pearl, and we get it from this next verse. Twelve gates were made of pearls, each gate with a single pearl. One single pearl. And the main street were gold, as clear as glass. Have you ever seen gold? I don't have gold on my finger, so they bend. We found that out. These bend when you work with your hands. So I got one that didn't. But this is gold that doesn't bend. In fact, this gold, you can see through it. You can see through it. It's hard to picture. It's going to be beautiful. And there's no sun. Why? It says the glory of God illuminates the city. My mom, <laughs> my mom, uh, I grew up doing music. My mom played piano and uh, sang with the worship team. She used to sing the same special all the time. If she's watching, she probably already knows what I'm about to say. Uh, but she used to start this song uh, in that city where the lamb is the light. Y'all remember that song? Some of you probably won't. It's a good song. And then the close. Everybody say the close. If you guys want to go ahead and come up, you can. In chapter 22... As John is closing the book here, in, in verse 7, he says something. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. They have been preaching Jesus is about to come back any moment. I've seen preachers get up there and grab a hold of the pulpit and say, he's coming. It's probably going to be any time now. I was born in 87. I've heard that preaching every year. Any time now. It's right around the corner. Get ready, get ready, get ready. So now this brings me to the why. Say why. Why is this important? Why does this matter? He says it again in verse 12. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's declaring to John, hey, listen, what I start, I will be there all the way through to the end. And as you look at all these prophecies of tribulation and judgment, as you look at all that, that, that is coming to many, many people, he wanted to reassure John of something. And he assures us this in his word throughout. What I start, I finish. What does it say? He who began 
a good work in me will see it to completion. And then in verse 17, I'm just going to read the close of Revelation to you. And then they're going to worship a little bit. And you can worship with them as we ask God some things. We find the purpose right here in 17. Listen. The spirit and the bride say, come. Everybody say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty Come, let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. What's the point? What's the purpose? What's the purpose of revelation? What did we say at the very beginning? This is a revelation of Jesus Christ. The whole point is not so you have a crystal ball to tell what's going on and be... It's, it's, it's less about knowledge and more about declaring Jesus to your soul. These guys are going to read this to their churches. And for those who don't know him, he is saying, come, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Last two verses. Verse 20, he who is the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. That's my prayer this morning. This is our assurance. The faithful one will fulfill all that he says. And may that be our prayer this morning. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. And for those this morning who don't know him, he's saying, come. All those who have been carrying life's burdens and weariness. Is this pastor trying to scare you into something? Absolutely not. What's this pastor trying to do? One, communicate God's word to you. But in hopes that through the Holy Spirit, you would come to the cross of Christ and lay it down. Lay down your pride. Lay down your sense of having to be two different people. Lay down your sense of having to be more than you really are. There's grace 
hear this preacher this morning. There is grace and mercy for you at the feet of Jesus. I need him. I need him. And I would be remiss if I didn't tell you, you need him too. You can't do this on your own. And you don't have to. Come. I'm going to sit and bring my own worries to the Lord this morning. Bring my own frustrations and anger. Bring my own feelings and emotions. Bring all the wrong that I've done, even this morning, and lay it at His feet, knowing this very thing. His call to us has come. His call to us is, you have forgiveness through Jesus Christ. It's for you. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.